Hello and welcome to Connected, the podcast about people, ideas, marketing, technology and everything that's good. I'm ASD, a digital man here at Mediacom. Hi, I'm Sue Uniman, Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom. And joining us over the airwaves is Carlos Grand. How, how are you doing, Carlos? Hello, I'm well. Good. Uh, so Carlos is the Effectiveness Editor at the Institute of Practitioners in Advertising, the IPA, having previously been Editorial Director at Walk, as well as Marketing Correspondent at the FT. So um, you did a degree in English, I believe, uh, in Oxford. So did you want to write about advertising when you left uni or did you fall into it? Uh, I, I didn't even fall into it. Actually, I, I doubt I even knew what advertising was when I was at, at university. Um, I mean, I did the sort of traditional route about the English graduate who then stumbled around trying to find out what job they want to do and basically fell into journalism, so news journalism, um, principally on the FT, um, but before that on regional newspapers. So, um, yeah, advertising was pretty low. That would have been, that would have been a glamorous gig to get compared to, um, you know, church fates and uh, town council <laughs> meetings, which is what I did for quite a number of years. Wow. You are a long way away from that. So, um, so your edit, uh, effectiveness editor at um, the home of effectiveness, the IPA um, uh, Institute of Practitioners in Advertising, um, home of the Effectiveness Awards, which, as we know, are the, the best awards in the known universe in terms Absolutely. of effectiveness. Um, I'm not just saying that because I'm convener. Um, you're therefore immersed in that. D does it ever make you want to go and, in fact, be a practitioner to join a marketing department? Um, yeah, I would say probably more on the agency side than, than the client side, just because I think, well, I mean, the brutal truth is it's the agencies who write the papers and who do most of the work um, in submitting the, um, the cases. Um, and also, I think because I uh, have a bit of a sort of gadfly mind, so I think the idea of staying in one organisation um, is less interesting than if you're operating on a, over a number of brands and stuff. So I think, I think even though they probably, probably didn't feel like it to them, I think the agency people have the best have the better side of the bargain. That's my view. Interesting. Um, so what, what you see a lot of case studies, I'm assuming. So what makes for a really good case study on effectiveness, or even a bad case study on effectiveness? Um, so there's a, there's a kind of number of things that um, that are, are pretty essential to a case, and if if they're not in there, then they get you know, that case will be discounted um, fairly quickly. And mostly those are about the evidence. So does the evidence that you've presented is it clearly presented? Um, is it the right type of evidence? And does it does the evidence of results actually meet uh, match up with the objectives that you set at the beginning of the campaign? Because you'd be surprised about the number of submissions you get where you see a fantastic set of results, but they're not actually that close to what was being talked about in the early part of the paper when the, when the, the paper was explaining what the, the problem was that the brand faced. So it's quite easy for, for people, I think, to, to lose a bit of focus because these papers go through multiple versions. And at the end, not realizing if, you, if you're looking at this for the first time, you would think actually these results don't quite match what you said you were going to do. Um, so I think those are, those are the essential things. And actually, if you don't have those, then you're pretty quickly discounted. Though very few submissions, I would say, you know, do get discounted quickly. Most of them are really um, eligible for the shortlist quite quite close to it. I mean, they only don't, don't make the shortlist for very fine points. Um, I think the really good cases are the ones that have um, taken a lot of time to, ex 
to, to discount um, potential other explanations about what, what could have happened. Because yeah. um, uh, I don't know what you find, Sue, but I think in the judging um, sessions, it's uh, quite often the case that people will quickly pipe up, well, yeah, but they spent a lot, of, you know, they increased their media spend um, here and they haven't explained that. Or, you know, one of their main competitors had a big disaster and that's not explained. Or, you know, they were recovering from a low base before the case started. So it looks as if they've done fantastically well, but actually they're only back to where they were five years ago. And preempting those questions is really important. Um, yeah. And it takes technique, I think. I mean, so, you know, our next question is, is you know, what brands and agencies have consistently good and effective work? But I, I, I think as well as answer, answering that question, you know, is it a problem that the technique of writing them is confined to a few brands and agencies, if that's true? Because it could be that there is effective work out there that isn't being part isn't, isn't isn't making it as part of the kind of contribution to the overall data bank yeah you can definitely see i think the the agencies that do particularly well are the ones who've been doing it for a long time and some multiple papers and the papers have certain similar traits i mean yeah, styles don't they there's, yeah. there's definitely a style you could you could pick them out you know mm. that's um, agency a that's agency b um and uh i mean a lot of that does it's simply because the people who have written those papers, who then become quite senior in their organisation, have read a lot of previous papers, because um, it's just so easy when you're caught up in the middle of, of doing this, of writing the paper, as well as your day job, which is what most people are in, that's the position they're in. Um, it's so easy to forget that there are other cases that will, that will have dealt with exactly the same problem you're now struggling with. And, you know, it's whether you call it imitation or theft or learning, basically those those cases are there for you to, you know, imitate, borrow, learn from. Um, and it, it's really clear with the, with the agencies that have done consistently well, that they have drilled into their authors, you know, have you read this previous case? Have you, and they refer to them as well, which is another thing that really, really um, small point. But if you actually quote previous cases in your paper if you if you can say that you know our results are x percent better than a very well-known case which won a, a gold or a silver you've already got ammunition for yeah and actually the judge has to come up with an argument about why that isn't a good point you know they really have to think well yes if that case that previous case won a silver or a gold then why shouldn't this get a gold if it's got a higher you know better payback and that's, uh, that is also a top tip for anyone who's out there with a bit of spare time on their hands. If their agency is part of the IPA, Institute of Practitioners of Advertising, then they are free to um, read, aren't they, the previous gold and silver papers. And some of them are extremely beautifully written um, and, you know, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think I think even when you're, I would say this, wouldn't I, but and even when you're not in awards mode, I think those things are worth mm. reading. Because actually, you know, there's there's a lot of thinking in them, but you never know when you're going to come across one of these esteemed authors now in a position of power in the in the industry. And actually, people love it when you say, "Oh yeah, I read your paper on, you know, what if it was Stocktober or you know Guinness or um, yeah. Audi." Um, they're always really. I'm always. I wasn't there. Always surprised that anyone's read them. And actually, they're obviously massively read, but people don't always say, "I've read this." Yeah. So, you know, why not just pay them a, a compliment? And obviously, if you have read them, it's even better because you can actually yeah. you know, quote, quote something from it. But you will, you, if you have a little dive into the golds for the last, you know, 
two, four, six years or whatever. That's not that's time well spent. Yeah. 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 People, I think also people are people within the industry don't realise when clients read those, they're really impressed. I mean, clients don't read enough of this anyway, um, but they're always surprised about the sophistication of the business um, knowledge, which is in those uh, cases, as well as the application of the insight and the actual communications part. It's the it's the knowledge of how the communications fits with the business problem and, yeah. and the strategy, I think, impresses clients because they don't always see that level of um, knowledge and application. And that's one of the things that Mark sees awards out as different, I think, is that it's it's about advertising's effectiveness on the business, yeah. not advertising's effectiveness on driving awareness, which is, you know, a nice to have, but not business transformation. Yeah, I mean, when I was at Walk, we, we obviously published thousands and thousands of cases, including the IPA cases. But the, there was a very clear distinction in quality and depth. And just commitment to the work from the IPA papers compared to the other papers. Even, you know, we ran our own competitions and they would, you know, they had a breadth of entry because they were global and they were genuinely international where you know everything And there was and there was money attached to them if you want. Well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely money. Yeah, we didn't we didn't just uh, rely on prestige and fame. Yeah. We actually put hard cash behind them. In fact, we, we sort of reversed the model. We didn't, you know, maybe it was a brilliant piece of thinking, where it was a terrible piece of thinking. We didn't charge people for entry, we gave money away. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is a distinguishing um, feature, which I think the UK, sh it's really important the UK maintains and obviously that other international markets share it and show their best work. You know, it's an opportunity for everyone to show. Yes, because um, they're global awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we should encourage, you know, global um, groups to to collaborate between offices. You know, not always easy thing to do, but I think it's a genuinely productive mm -hmm. And, and you, you learn from, you know, your fellow markets about what things are possible yeah. to do, what things are not possible to do. So, so yeah, if anyone's out there, you know, now is the time to make most use of um, the lockdown opportunity. Good, Hopefully good by the time this goes out, the lockdown might be over, but anyway, never mind. Well, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be optimistic. You mentioned in the previous question about having the right evidence. What do, what do you mean about the right evidence? So, uh, so the evidence should um, should match obviously the the the, the um, problem that's being addressed. So, um, if if the problem is about um, a lack of um, lack of growth in the in the business, that so you're, you're just not attracting new customers, then you need to be able to show that the, the customers have gone up in the period mm -hmm. afterwards. So it's it's all very well showing, and in fact, you need to show the intermediate steps. So how did you do that? You know, you gained awareness for the brand, you uh, made the brand more considered in its, its set, you um, made it more relevant, you gave it a sort of a differentiated position. But at the end, you need to show that there has been actual customer growth. And that growth isn't just that the market is growing, you, you, that your brand is growing faster than the market. So you do need to um, isolate the evidence that will match the objectives. And then I suppose when you're when you're disproving the other alternative explanations, so you know, you, your customers have, have increased and um, the market hasn't increased, but there may be other reasons why um, your customers have grown, which might be to do with seasonality, might be to do with a new product um, uh, development, might be to do with extra distribution, pricing changes, all that kind of stuff. So you have to, again, show 
you know, it helps you know, strength your case if you can show by using the right evidence that none of those things have been a factor or enough of a factor in growing your um, your customer base. And obviously, in a lot of cases, in like most of business instances, you know, communications isn't happening in an isolation. Mm. There's, there's, there are other things going on, and it may be perfectly valid to have done price promotion or new product development or increased your distribution within that. But provided you've shown that there is a, an area of this which can't be attributable to um, um, to those other things, then that's fine. Um, in fact, it, it's, it's the, the cases that are the more credible ones are the ones where you can't totally discount something, but you can just isolate mm -hmm. what is the specific contribution of the comms within the growth. But what, what's a problem, as, as you were saying earlier, is if somebody in the judging room goes, I happen to know that they had a massive distribution problem yeah. this time last year and they haven't mentioned it. And so, of course, they've seen, seen a spike in sales. And, and that does happen. The, the judges for the, the jury for the um, IP Effectiveness Awards is told to do the opposite of... Um, you know, uh, a, a jury of uh, in the public courts. They are they are <laughs> they are told to believe that the um, to discount evidence unless it's absolutely proven to be true, rather than yeah. to give the there is no benefit of the doubt in the <laughs> IPF Awards towards judging. It's a harsh, a harsh process. Yeah. So so don't so basically don't don't try and um, hide away your hmm. um, uh, unfortunate you know, secrets or whatever. Just put them yeah. up, up front. Mm. Get them get them dealt with early on. Deal and with then them, basically yeah. yeah, deal with them early on and then move on. Move on. It's a lesson so. for all of us. Um, <laughs> what's what's next for you? <laughs> I don't. What's next for anyone in this yeah. current environment? Uh, we, we're talking. One of the things we're doing actually, it's it's sort of um, connected to the IPA, but it's only in in a secondary role, is we're involved in a conference which is to do with creativity and technology, and the theme is the next 10 years. And we were sat there thinking, is it really possible to do a conference on the next 10 years, you know, the next 10 weeks? Um, am I, I'm a freelance, so, um, and I'm self-employed, so, um, so you know, the next thing could be could be tomorrow or the next week or, or next month. But um, I think, you know, as long as you're just open to, if, think, if, if what you're doing currently ends next week, then you just have to take your skill set and go and apply it somewhere else. And I mean, one of the good things about being a newspaper or ex-newspaper journalist is that you, know, you, you, you would go into the newspaper every day not knowing what you were going to do that day. Mm. And, you know, whatever you did that day, would it would be, it, you would, you know, be completely different the, the following day most times. I mean, obviously you had running stories, but you, you did have that mindset, which is I have no idea what stories I'm going to be working on today, who I'm going to be interviewing, what I'm going to be writing, what kind of um, tone of voice I need to adapt. You know, is, is it a feature? Is it a news piece? Is it, mm. is it a, um, a personal piece, etc.? So that's fine. You have to be comfortable with that. And that's a good thing. Given that newspaper journalists, I think, have had to, um, you know, rearrange their, yeah, yeah. their careers. Uh, it's a good, that's a good skill set to have, actually. Yeah, do miss, probably do you miss useful the, for all of us. Do you miss the news, newspaper days at all? I only miss it when there's a really big running story, like as in now, or um, mm. when you know Brexit was at its height, or when the euro was crashing. Um, because actually, there's a sort of, um, I mean, I'm sure it's still true now from the people I talk to, my, my former colleagues. But there's a kind of um, adrenaline and momentum in a newsroom mm. when there's a really big running story that everybody feels they're right at the centre of. 
And um, I mean, when I was at the FT, we had the you know the September the 11th attacks and, and the sort of global slump after that, and the beginning of the, the global financial crisis. And when you feel it's, it's when you feel you're right at the centre of a news story, and what you write will move markets and affect decisions. Mm -hmm. That's quite a, that's quite an exciting place to be, and it's exhausting as well because yeah. if it goes on for you know weeks, months, years, everybody gets bored with the story, and everyone forgets that um, not everybody has read every single piece of copy you've written on this. So you have to summarize and clarify every single time and assume that someone's coming to this right from the beginning, um, which is you know, really tedious and you forget what you've, what you've already told you need to. So there's that, but uh, yeah, there's, when, you're, when you're at the heart of a really big story, but that doesn't happen all the time. So actually, um, yeah, I don't regret it most of the time. It's just when, it's, when there's a really big story and I think, Gosh, that would be exciting to be, to be involved in that. That would be fun. I mean, that's another really useful skill set, isn't it, from those days, this ability to simplify. Mm. Um, yeah. Because because you must come across... I have to say, Carl says ed edited pieces that I've written and, and, and is a very good editor, but um, you must come across um, experts who find it almost impossible to simplify what they're thinking and saying. Yeah. Um, and it's also... It's funny because, because I've gone from being a sort of generalist reporter to being a specialist reporter and then having a bit more specialist knowledge. Now, even I find that, uh, you know, I have to generalise more, you know, and I get told not to, not to assume that, which is, is, is totally right. You, um, I think, yeah, I think the more expert you are, I think it is, must be really difficult to, to remember that people haven't, yeah. I mean, Les, Les Burnett and Peter Field, you know, they have to kind of remember that people have just not read or cannot recite everything that they've, they've written um but that's um, part of it isn't it it's part of it to understand how little people really care and it's one of those things that's very very true about avatar I, I sometimes think it's one of the differences between a creative agency and a media agency is that the creative agencies assume that people are very interested in advertising whereas media agencies know that no one's interested in advertising <laughs> And it's sort of part of the difference of our approach. But, but we should move on to our regular questions. Yes, yeah, so on to our regular questions, Carlos, that we ask everybody so we can compare and contrast. So can you give us a, your favourite line from a poem, a song or a book, please? Uh, gosh, this is like one of those really cringy moments. Um, uh, so I do have a favourite line. Um, it's from uh, Elizabeth Bishop poem, which is called um, At the Fish Houses. And um, I'm always terrible at misquoting, so I'll have to read from it because I, otherwise I'll get it wrong. Um, basically, in the poem, it's in set in New England, and she imagines she's uh, it's a scene by the sea, and there's a, there are fishermen sort of mending their nets and doing various sort of nautical things. There's an, in, an encounter with a seal um, who she sort of interacts with, and then she starts to think about the the, the, the water and the quality of the water, and. She says, you know, how it would be cold and, and sort of briny. And she, the line is, it, it's like what we imagine knowledge to be. Dark, salt, clear, moving, utterly free, drawn from the hard, cold mouth of the world. And the reason why I like that is, um, is uh, the drawn from the hard, cold mouth of the world. I mean, one of the definitions of journalism is that you... What's real journalism is when you print something that people don't want to, to read in, that someone doesn't want you to, doesn't want to be read in the paper. Um, so it has to be drawn out. Um, and uh, that's what I think about most sort of knowledge. It's not really there to be 
it's not there on the surface, isn't it? You have to actually go and find it and you have to go and dig it out and then assimilate it and draw out the insight from it. Um, and certainly the case in journalism, and I think it's probably true from effectiveness um, stuff oh. as well. So, um, and I love Elizabeth Bishop. So, um, so that would be my favourite line. Very good. Um, if you were a genie, what five commonly available objects would I have to put in a magic circle to summon you? Okay. Uh, so these would be uh, a swimming cap. Uh, You're a swimmer. I am a swimmer. Yeah, I, I, I sort of learned to swim properly about five or six years ago. Um, and since then I do, obviously it's one of the things we can't do now. So swimming caps are a sort of, you know, wistful thing. That no, you'd it's, look like. it's when the world gets back to normal. It's pools or wild swimming or sea or just anywhere. So, so um, my favourite swimming is wild swimming. Um, mm. So sea swimming or in a lake or a river uh, or an outdoor pool. Um, uh, and actually, I think the, the longer swims, they still they have they've cancelled all the main ones up to about June or July. So there are still some in September that might happen. So, so you're um, a competitive swimmer. A, a competitive in in quotation marks. I mean, yeah. we're competitive in that we all want to finish. But you know, okay. I do those mass swims where you know they're usually a couple of hundred thousand people. So you come somewhere in the pack, and you know you have little conversations in the water along the way because you you have feeding stations. You, so there's a big, there's a, a swim in Devon, the, on the River Dart, you know, yeah. that swim in September, which is a 10 kilometre swim. And you do, you sort of meet at um, uh, sort of bridges, heart, sort of kind of at different points. And then you have little conversations and you meet the same person for, you know, a couple of kilometres down the river and you come in at the end. And it's, uh, I think, how long, so how long does that take, 10k? Uh, that takes about, uh, about two hours, 45, two hours, 15, or something like that. Is it um, very competitive, or I'm assuming as you can have a conversation, I'm assuming it's it's fair, it's not gentle, it's fairly paced. Yeah, I think it, I think it's very friendly. And most, most, I mean, you do hear horror stories about people swimming over people and stuff, but I've never experienced it. In my experience, particularly, I mean, the age range is, is, is enormous in wild swimming. Mm. You'll, you'll mm. get people, you know, in their 60s, 70s, 80s, yeah. who are brilliant swimmers, um, and people, you know, in the, in the teenagers. Um, so it's, it's normally pretty friendly, and mm. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of accidental bumping because people forget to look up from the water and see where they're going and stuff. And, I, you know, I'm one of the people who zigzags along the river, you know, from bank to bank, not yeah. taking the most efficient route. So, but yeah, so that would be, that would be my first item. Yeah. So um, I always have a massive bag with me. I don't know if you ever noticed that, Sue. I always have this massive bag, which is just, uh, I know it seems to be impossible to, obviously now I've got nowhere to go, so the massive <laughs> bag stays in, stays in the wardrobe. But yeah, it's always just full of stuff and people can't, people always think I'm moving house, but actually I just turn up somewhere and yeah. Um, uh, we can give so, you a bag, we can't give you your bag because it has to be generally available, but we can give you a big, it's a big, is it a big leather bag? Am I yeah, right? yes, yeah, big yes, leather bag. Right, yeah. Okay, nice. Big leather bag, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, a Greek textbook because I'm learning ancient Greek, which is... Who are you? Which why? If, if you want to... Uh, why? Because I think it's a massive um, uh, range of literature to read, um, mm. but you just have to sort of get used to the idea that you're not going to be able to read any of it for about five to ten years. Yeah. No, 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 so, no, 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 that's not true at all, because I, 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 I did ancient Greek, and um, it, it's it's not a complicated language. It's, um, you, you, I, I, honestly, I was reading Homer in two years when I was at school. Really? Yeah, so, and it's beautiful, Homer. It's not hard. It's... Uh, so, so, um, so I do it at a night school. So the different, you know, we only do it 
a week, um, an hour and a half a week, yeah. and then obviously do homework and stuff like that. But um, yeah, the, I find the difference between doing that and doing you know, Latin at school is that because we're doing a relatively short number of hours, but you know, you're fine on, on the Sunday night when you're doing your homework and you're great in the class, or you know, you think you're great in class, and then by the following Friday or Saturday, you've forgotten everything. Well, you've so, got to do a little bit every day. Yeah, you need to do 10, 15 minutes every day. But, um, uh, God, we could we could do a whole geek off now. But uh, yeah. let's, let's not. Can you remember a line of Homer? Can you? Uh, oh, I can't remember a line of Homer, but I can remember the first line of my Greek textbook, which is um, uh, Thrasymachus, Pydian, Este, Kekathudai, Bronte, A, oh, something else. Which is Thrasymachus is a boy and asleep. There is thunder and lightning, and then and then he goes off and um, meets his uh, meets uh, meets a spirit guide. I think who takes him to visit the gods. But I love the language. I think it's beautiful language, and um, it's obviously much that was beautiful that was written in it. But um, it's uh, it's um, it's not something. It's not a skill that I use every day these days. I find it's a little bit like a crossword puzzle, though. If you, you know, when you're particularly when you're doing English to Greek, where you're trying to work out, you know, w which form and w where the where the words go in which order, it's quite a nice sort of mental exercise. But yeah, the grammar, the grammar is comforting. Also, I had um, both my um, I had two Greek and Latin teachers. They did both, and they were both very northern. So if I speak it at all, I speak it with a slight uh, Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So apologies for that. It's not very authentic. Yeah. Anyway, right. So That's three um, things, I think. Three things. Yeah. Uh, so um, saffron, because ah. uh, I suppose I'm quite a foodie, and um, I learn. My family is all are all foodie people. They either worked in the food industry or they're obsessed with food, and it's the one thing everyone has an opinion on in my family all the time. And now. Um, because we all eat slightly different things, like saffron would be, would be one thing that we'd all have in common, um, and also because it's rare and valuable. So, so if you're going to if you're going to give me something, give me something that I would actually value. So that would be great. I say is that it might be the least commonly available, most common thing that we can have in the food yes, world, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. And the fifth thing would be stamps, because I never have stamps, and I find the world divides into the people who are carrying stamps in their <laughs> purse slash wallet and the people who aren't. So and I don't know about. Is that so? You, I'm, I'm I guessing you might. Yes, I guess you might. Andrea, I, I, I don't know. Never has I, I carry stamps, yeah. but mainly because yeah. my wife thinks it's attractive for me to keep stamps. These days. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the only reason why. That's it. That's that's, that's, that's how it. you wooed her. Put yeah. my stamps. <laughs> my stamp that's a tip for any any budding Romeos out there. <laughs> yeah, you should put it on your on your. Yeah, people should put it on their uh, Tinder profile, shouldn't they? People should be a stamp collector. You can rely anyway, on me yeah. for a stamp. Um, so we're, we're all locked down. We're all in our house. So what th three things in your house are giving you comfort? So we're assuming that living things like family and pets give you comfort. So not them, but actual things. We talked, we talked off air about something that you've done to your books. That could be it. Or give, it, give us things that are giving you comfort. So, um, so it is in my flat, but I use it mostly outside, which is, um, first thing is my Bose headphones, because yeah. I don't know if you, if anyone runs or cycles and stuff, but yeah. I've gone through endless pairs of headphones, uh, types of headphones that don't stay in your ear when you're running. Yeah. And I have to say the Bose ones, even though they are ludicrously expensive for such a small thing, 
Um, they do have, I think it's a one year or two year guarantee or something. Mm. Um, in terms of if you change your mind, I think in the first year you can you can take them back. And they have never fallen out. Whereas mm. I used to spend all my time running around Hyde Park um, at lunchtime, um, uh, just picking up my AirPods or whatever the other. Yeah. You know, it was just embarrassing. You know, um, so yeah, those are real, those are real first world problem, isn't it? My, my <laughs> 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 Honestly, it's, uh, it's quite handy now because uh, I don't know how, what you're finding if you do the daily walk or daily exercise outside that um, there's quite a lot of tent. People are always a bit tent if you're running, you know, there's, there's a whole thing about yeah. the pedestrians and the cyclists and the runners. And it is people are, quite aggressive. Yeah, so it's good to be listening to something to make you feel a bit more relaxed. Mm -hmm. um, second thing would be my Bialetti, um, the stove pop and espresso pop because like most people I'm drinking most coffee drinkers I'm probably drinking more coffee than ever yeah. um which is not a good thing but at least if you do it on a bialetti that's going to taste good yeah. um and the third thing would be my magi mix because it was given to me as my leaving present at the FT and I think the tip a tip here is that never leave your leaving presents um to chance you must always drop hints to oh, your colleagues so about what you true. want yeah. God, that's so true. I mean, I haven't left here for yeah. ages, but but in my previous leaving experiences, I had a hideous gifting. What at did the you first get? Place I left. They bought me, and they with the best possible intentions. I'd gone. I was a. I'd gone to work on uh, fragrances, Lulu Prestige and Collections, uh, uh, L'Oreal Prestige and Collections, and bless them, they bought me the perfumes that I was going to go and work on at the new <laughs> agency, which obviously, as you know, is not something that you're short of when you're working on a perfume brand. <laughs> and also some just some ghastly um, earrings as well. But the second time, I didn't just drop hints I specified. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you have to be really good with who you specify to as well. Yes, they're, yeah. they're in the uh, present buying group, whatever. So, so yeah. yeah, no, I would definitely not leave that to chance. Oh, very so good. those would be my. Very good. Sue, so, so can I ask you what three things are giving you comfort? Because you haven't had the chance to answer, and I think people are interested. Uh, oh, at home. Yeah. Sorry uh, for hijacking. Oh, it, for throwing that. Oh, at me. Yeah. Um, what three? Well, well, let's both do it, and we can alternate. Um, in fact, why don't you go first, Andrew? Because I can think. Oh, you're throwing it back in my face. Okay, so assuming my children aren't, aren't allowed, I've got this book which is right next to me, so I don't get much time because I'm working early. And what I'm so I so one of them would be my house plants, right? Um, but what I've started to do to relax is to draw the house plant and then oh, wow. write down um, like the Latin name. You can't really read it. The Latin name, how you care for it, what soil it works with, how to water it, what what light it needs, what um, and everything like that, and how to repot it. So I. I'm doing that, like, I keep on doing that, um, and that it's given me great comfort, great comfort. I mean, that. I, I, am, I am delighted to have an outside, so being able to sit outside is giving me kind of enormous mm. comfort, and I feel, I mean, I always appreciated it anyway, but I think to be even more grateful at the moment. Yeah, fine. Um, I've, so when I was in uni, I collected a lot of football kits um, and I've I refound the bag and honestly I've got about 50 football kits so every day I'm wearing <laughs> and I haven't worn them really um, so I'm wearing one a day uh, until this so is you'll have, to, you'll have to tell me which kit you're wearing today so this oh. is a 1998-1999 Tottenham pony purple away kit uh it's a it's quite an ugly kit um but it's a bit of an urban legend amongst spurs fans and it it feels like i'm wearing a plastic bag so it stinks uh within minutes of you putting it on um um i can't go to the gym 
Oh, wow. But look what I bought. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you do. Why did you buy those in the lockdown? Because weights equipment are it's, it's scarce, hard to buy, isn't it? I went early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> early adopter. I got them very early. So I have um, very, I have a green, a pink, and I think the heaviest ones are just grey, which I suppose is appropriate for the, because the heaviest ones, which I don't use, they're, they're the serious ones. That's exactly what my wife would say. I would do mine by the weights, and Emma would do them by the colours. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and do you do you do your own routine, or do you do one of these random YouTube? Yeah, I'm I'm uh, off Amazon. So, um, in fact, to be honest, I found um, it's quite an old routine. But it's very good. It's a really good routine. It's it's getting, it's getting me quite fit, but it's too um, sort of impossibly glamorous American women on a beach. <laughs> And so in my mind, I go to the beach now for my workout, which is, um, you know, excuse me, everybody, just silence for half an hour. I'm going to um, going to work out at the beach with my new friends. I find, I'm not I'm not finding much luck with the YouTube because um, there's so many different workout um, routines and people, you know, PTs and whatever, doing their routines. And I find that you get about five minutes to what seems like a promising routine. And then they start with the kind of grunts and the sort of punching and the kind of, you know, the whoops and the sort of mm. encouragement and I can't deal with any of that so my favorite routine is the one I think it's called Fraser Nelson and he literally says nothing he never <laughs> says it and I'm not even sure if he can I mean, I'm sure he can speak but he's never said anything and it's blissful it's just like 10 minutes and there's no no false encouragement and you can put some of the music on and just do it so yeah I'd say PTs out there you know zip it is my is my advice if you want to grow your audience and your third thing Andrew uh, my garden like i'm so lucky to have a garden mm. um um actually no not my garden the 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 common i live near a common um but that's not in my house so i'm not sure that counts actually um but I'm, i'll say my garden then just because it's so um place. i i've been making a um in order to entertain myself i've been making myself a soup of the day um <laughs> during the working week and i'm therefore using um a, a liquidizer I don't think I've ever used it before. It's, it's actually my, belongs to my daughter, who kind of for making kind of healthy smoothies and things. Um, but I've been borrowing it. And um, uh, so, do, you, do you want to know my soup of the day today? Please, yeah. Soup of the day, I'm really mixing it up, was um, celeriac, um, uh, carrot, with a hint of ginger and a hint of chilli. And not only was it delicious, it was a beautiful colour. Oh. I was going to say, colour coding is really important with your food. It's not just bookshelves, you know. I've moved yeah. on to colour coding food. Because yeah. um, otherwise, you, if you're not careful, you end up with brown food daily, yes. which is, yeah, not so a good... This, that, this... That's exciting. So do you do only enough for one day, and then the next day you start with a new soup? Or... Yeah, and um, oh. nobody else wants the soups at lunchtime, so I'm just <laughs> basically just making a cup of soup. Um and yeah, no, I'm not into the let's freeze it and use it up the next day. But of course, the thing is, is that I mean, soup only takes 15 minutes to make. So, yeah. it's, and so, so that's I'm entertaining myself enormously with what well, I'm, I'm thinking possibly pea and mint tomorrow. I think yeah, a nice green. Yeah, no, that's I, I, I can get with the soup of the day actually. I, I, I am a bit of a freezer, I have to be honest. Um, uh, though it always come, it always. Um, goes awry when I try and find the Tupperware lid so I have you know the drawer of shame 
with the Tupperware bottoms and no lids or the lids with no bottoms. So that's always I just, a bit fun. I just forget what's in the freezer. So my daughter is a brilliant scratch cook, my youngest. And my eldest is not here at the moment. She's also a good cook, but she's not here. So she's, she's catering for herself. But my youngest is a brilliant scratch cook and she um, is making stuff and freezing up batches of it. But I just kind of forget what I've put in the freezer. And it's like one yeah. too many things now to... But yeah. we should get back to questioning Carlos. Oh, That's enough oh. from us. Oh, is it me? Is it me? It's my question, yep. isn't it? It's um, uh, is it if you could change the industry in one yep. way? It's yep. that one. If you could change the industry, uh, in one way right now, what would you do? So, um, hopefully, I'm not going to libel any of my colleagues, but I would say, uh, change the order of the Zoom calls because I've been on quite a few Zoom calls where the person who is the most senior person sort of leads the Zoom call and there's been a lot of kind of monologuing and you can see from the sort of faces um maybe it doesn't happen in Vitacom um yeah I think I think it would be a, a good to have a random order of your Zoom host who perhaps sets the tone and does the initial because I think it, it's quite oppressive it's something there's something about Zoom calls that makes them more oppressive than, than when you're physically in a room, you can, you know, if, if the meeting is not the most interesting meeting or it's going on a bit long, you can read from other people's body language about how they're, and you can take comfort from the fact they're not enjoying it either, or you can signal to each other, or you can, which in Zoom is very hard to do without doing something obvious like raising your hand or, or doing, or doing the, the thumbs hand. down sign. <laughs> We're on Teams, which is, I think, more Teams democratic. So it's because, of course, that's the thing about Zoom is that, that somebody is in charge, whereas that's mm. less less true of Teams. But um, mm. interesting. So it's a very immediate lockdown. We we should say for listeners out there, we're in we're in lockdown week four at the moment. Mm -hmm. So um, and it uh, can we just because I don't know when this is going to go out, Andrew, but not for a couple of weeks. So can we say to our future selves, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let us know when we can come out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Carlos, if we were to give you a billboard, where would you put it and what would it say? Um, yeah, uh, so the only thing I could think of was I would put it at Victoria Station and I would, I, it would say, um, if you wouldn't say it to your mum, don't tweet it. Oh, so my yeah. view is, you know, I mean, I don't do a lot of social media apart yeah. from for work and actually it tends to be fairly polite, but yeah. whenever I'm on social media or um interacting with it in a sort of personal capacity. I'm just horrified how quickly something that's very positive can descend into name slanging. And I just think these people would never do it if, you know, if it was in a physical context or if their parents knew or someone they loved and knew that they were doing it. So, you know, if it could make someone think and pause, just not not say what they're going to say, um, then that would be useful, I think. Very good. Good. Now, Carlos, there is a question which we don't send you. It's uh, when you can't prepare for it. It's from the Proust questionnaire, which is uh, which has its or origins in a parlour game, which was popularised but not devised by Marcel Proust, who believed mm -hmm. that in answering these questions, an individual reveals his or her true nature. So if you could give me a number between one and 30, please, I will give you a question if you could answer it to finish. Yourself. OK, um, 16. Question 16 is which talent would you most like to have? Uh, the ability to dance. Oh. So I, one of the things I've been doing in the lockdown is the <laughs> attempting to do is the English National Ballet uh, class that the head of English National Ballet does from her kitchen. And <laughs> it is horrendously difficult. 
and it starts off very simple and you think, okay, I can, I can cope with it. And literally within a few minutes, you're sort of sliding along the carpet, you know, in the sofa, <laughs> you, you clash with the furniture. And it's incredibly joyous, even though it's only in her um, kitchen. Uh, but it's just really enviable, the ability to do that and with such grace and control. And they obviously love what they do. And I, I feel really badly for them at the moment because, you know, mm. the, the, the fate of performers and dancers is, um, well, it's, it's among the worst. Um, they just have no work and they, they're not bad, they're not well paid to start off with. And it's a very brief career. Um, so, so yeah, I, I would really love to be able to dance. Lovely note to end on. It is. Um, Carlos, thank you. For, I think the most highbrow podcast we've ever had. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. Oh, God. Really? <laughs> I think it must be. Oh, dear. Seed's corner. Okay. Well, I hope that's all right. That was fabulous. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.